kindness, pity, tenderness, loving kindness, mercy, grace, faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, all wrapped up together, strong, steadfast, unchanging, unconditional, loyal love. That's our God. Don't you just love him? Looking at the story of Ruth, living under the shadow of God's wings. Let me remind you of the story so far. Naomi has been through some very, very dark days. She has felt some bitter blows from the hand of God. And now she's back in Bethlehem and there is some light on the horizon, little glimmers of light. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, has come back with her to Bethlehem and she's promised to stay with her. There's a harvest. God is blessing in Bethlehem again. Ruth is working to provide for them. Good girl, Ruth. And as well as that, Ruth has met a man, Boaz, and he's rich, and he's been very kind to her. And maybe, just maybe, who knows what might develop. So some glimmers of light on Naomi's horizon, a little bit of hope, but Naomi isn't seeing it. Not yet. Ruth is a good girl. She's a hard worker. She's gentle. She's kind. She's humble. She's respectful. She's gracious. And she has shown extraordinary love and faithfulness to Naomi. And commitment to God, too, because she's left her home and her family, and her gods, and she's come to live in God's place among God's people under the shelter of God's wing. And Boaz, Boaz is a godly man. He's rich, he's influential, he's honorable, he's kind, he's generous, and he has shown extraordinary kindness to Ruth. Could there be something going on with those two? Well, we'll have to wait and see. And God, behind the scenes, God is up to something. The storyteller keeps hinting at that. The things that are happening aren't happening by chance. But what could it be that God is up to? Well, we're going to have to read on in the story to find out. And we're going to read now from Ruth. Chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. 
So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed is he who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabites said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in another field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. The story, as we've seen already, is divided into scenes. Act 2, scene 2, closed with the end of Ruth's first day gleaning in Boaz's field. And we left her heading home with plenty of grain to show for her day's work and plenty to tell Naomi about. The next scene, Act 2, scene 3, opens back at Naomi's place. So she gleaned in the field until the evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And the storyteller puts some emphasis on the amount of grain that Ruth comes home with. An ephah was about a tenth of a homer, which probably doesn't mean any more to you than an ephah does. But a homer was about what a donkey could carry. What Ruth came home with was about nine kilograms of barley. And that would have been enough to do the two women for something over a week. The harvest would last for seven weeks, so if Ruth kept it up, by the end of the harvest they could have enough grain to last for anything from eight months to a year, which was way more than any gleaner could ever have hoped for, more than Ruth and Naomi could have imagined they would ever have again when they returned to Bethlehem. And the point is not for us to see how hard a worker Ruth is, this is about how generous Boaz is and about the goodness of God. It has been a good day. Ruth has come home and Naomi is curious to hear about her day. Where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be he who took notice of you. Where did you get all that grain? But of course she's not really so much interested in where as she is in who. So Ruth fills her in. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And do you see how she leaves the name to the end? Kind of teasing Naomi, building a bit of suspense. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. I think she's quite taken with him. Well, Naomi is just delighted with the kindness they've been shown. Maybe she is starting to see some of those glimmers of light 
now. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. The English Standard Version puts it, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, do you see in that sentence, it's not exactly clear whose kindness Naomi is getting excited about, is it? There's a bit of ambiguity. Is it Boaz whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? Or is it the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead? And that lack of clarity can't be a mistake. It's deliberate. The storyteller wants us to remember and see that Naomi remembers that Boaz's kindness is really, of course, the Lord's kindness being expressed through Boaz. God is at work behind the scenes. God is up to something. It was the Lord who led Boaz to be so kind, just as it was no coincidence that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field, just as it was the Lord who put it into Ruth's heart to show such extraordinary kindness to Naomi, and just as it was the Lord who brought the famine to an end. Yes, I think we can be sure that by now, Naomi is even starting to see those little glimmers of light. Boaz has shown kindness, or the Lord has shown kindness. And the word, I'm going to teach you a bit of Hebrew now. I'm sure you're delighted. The word, the Hebrew word is the word hesed. And that's a very hard word to translate into English because there is no single English word that means exactly the same thing. Translators use words like kindness, pity, tenderness, loving kindness, mercy, grace, love, commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, loyal love. You'll see that word has it translated in all those different ways in the Old Testament. But Hesed is more than any one of those things. It's more than just kindness. It's more than just grace. It's more than just love. Hesed is all of those things all bunched together. And it also has in it the idea of steadiness and commitment, faithfulness no matter what. Maybe loyal love gets about as close as you can possibly get to the meaning of the word hesed. An amazing word, a wonderful word. It's one of the richest words in the Old Testament, and it's one of the most important words because it describes the way God's people are meant to relate to one another. And even more important because it describes the way God relates to his people. For the children of Israel, Hesed was bound up with God's promise to Abraham. Remember God promised to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and that from that nation the promise went on to say that a king would come and a kingdom that would stretch across the whole earth and last forever. For the children of Israel, Hesed was bound up with that promise. Hesed was what was behind it. Hesed was what drove it. Every step toward fulfilling that promise was God's Hesed at work. Every success they chalked up was described as God's Hesed. Every harvest was God's Hesed. Their food was God's Hesed. Their land was God's Hesed. And to abandon the land like Elimelech had done, 
was like giving up on God's hesed. It was a denial of it. Faith, trust in God, said, as we read in Lamentations 3, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And that word mercies translates the word hesed. Even when bad things are happening, God is showing compassion according to his steadfast, loyal, faithful love. Anyway, that's hesed. It's a very important word. And if you want something useful to do with yourself and something really interesting to do over the next wee while, if you can find all the places in the Old Testament where the word hesed is used, get yourself a concordance or if you can go online with your phone or your computer or whatever, look for all the places that word hesed is used. It's used in an awful lot of places. It's going to keep you occupied for a while. Find them all and use them to build up a picture of what it means. And you'll find it's really fascinating especially if you keep remembering that hesed is how God behaves toward his people. And one of the most amazing things you'll find over and over is that God's hesed never, never, never depends on how his people behave toward him. Even when they're unfaithful to him, hesed still describes his relationship to them. God's hesed is everlasting. Isaiah 54 verse 8, with a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, God says, but with everlasting kindness, with hesed, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Words of God to his unfaithful, rebellious people. Yes, I was cross with you. I was angry for a little while, but with everlasting hesed, I'll have mercy on you. The word hesed has come up before in the story of Ruth. You won't have noticed that if you're not reading it in the Hebrew Bible. Those of you who are reading it in your Hebrew Bible, of course, have been spotting this all along. It came up when Naomi said to Ruth and Orpah in chapter 1, the Lord deal with you kindly as you have dealt with the dead and me the Lord deal kindly with you, and the word there, deal kindly, is hesed. It has come up here in chapter 2, verse 20, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his hesed to the living and the dead. And in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, it's going to come up again, where Boaz says, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness, more hesed at the end than at the beginning. The beginning of the story, the middle of the story, the end of the story. You, know, you remember that Hebrew poetry thing that I mentioned a few times? The way in Hebrew poetry, very often the high point or the climax of the whole thing, the point that you're meant to focus on, the thing that's meant to dominate the whole poem, comes in the middle. Well, funny enough, this is what is right at the very center of the book of Ruth. The Lord whose hesed has not forsaken the living and the dead. And as well as that, 
Hesed is a theme that is really woven right through this story. Every character, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, and even the minor characters in it, we'll see, they all demonstrate some aspect of Hesed. Ruth does Hesed to Naomi, Boaz does Hesed to Ruth and Naomi, but coming back to where we were sidetracked, it's all God's Hesed, really. So, took that thought away in the back of your mind as we get back to look at the story again. We're back at Naomi's place, and in response to Ruth's revelations, Naomi adds some revelations of her own. She says, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Well, that's news to Ruth. We have caught wind of it already. The storyteller told us that at the start of chapter 2, a relative of Naomi's husband, he said. But this goes a bit further because Naomi says that Boaz is a close relative. And that doesn't quite get the whole idea across. Another Hebrew word for you is the word goel. Now, another digression is coming on here, but just before we go off on it and talk about what a goel is, just, just notice how she says, Boaz is one of our close relatives. In other words, there's more than one. That's by the way. Goel comes from a word that means redeemer. The responsibility to be someone's goel fell to his nearest relative. So if a man fell in hard times, it was his goel's duty to restore his rights and to avenge any wrongs that had been done to him if he wasn't in a position to do it for himself. The goel might have to redeem or buy back his relative from slavery, or redeem, buy back his property if he had been forced through adverse circumstances to sell his property. And if a man was murdered, his goel would have to avenge his blood and redeem his honor. If he was killed in an accident, his goel would have to see that proper compensation was paid to his family. A goel could be a brother or an uncle or a male cousin or even a further out relative. It was the closest relative who took that responsibility. Another of the responsibilities of the goel was what was known as leverate marriage. Now, it's nothing to do with Levi and Levites, that just sounds similar. But if a man died without having a child to pass his inheritance on to, his part in the promised land, then his brother would be responsible to act as lever. He would be expected to marry his dead brother's widow and have a child by her, and that child would then inherit the dead brother's name and property. Sounds like a strange idea to us, I know, but it was something that God commanded his people to do. You can read about it in Deuteronomy 25 if you're interested. And it was a good custom because not only did it guarantee that a man's part in the promised land wouldn't be lost to his family, it also meant that his widow was cared for and provided for. It was a good idea, that is, of course, unless you were someone who had an ugly old bag of a sister-in-law, then you wouldn't think it was such a great idea. Remember that Naomi told Orpah and Ruth to go back to Moab. 
She said, are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? And this was what she had in mind. She was saying, look, girls, I can't provide husbands for you. There are no brothers. There is no lever. Malon and Killian had no brothers, and I'm too old. There won't be any brothers, so go home and find men back home to marry. And that's, by the way, but you need to know about the goal and you need to know about lever at marriage. Otherwise, some things in the story of Ruth aren't going to make much sense to you. There's a bit more to the whole idea, and we'll come back to it, but that'll do us for now. Back to the story again at Naomi's place. When Naomi told Ruth, Boaz is our goal, that was pretty significant. It was a significant little snippet of information, don't you think? It was funny she hadn't mentioned it before. But anyway, Ruth's response, Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Calls her Ruth the Moabites. Well, maybe that's just her name, like Uriah the Hittite. But I think really the storyteller's just dropping in a little reminder that she is a foreigner, just in case we've forgotten. Anyway, now that she knows who he is, well, Ruth is, is even more excited. He told me to come back, Naomi, and to keep coming back. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. And again, the ESV puts it a bit better. It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. It's more accurate. You keep going back there, Ruth. You'll be safe in Boaz's field. So she did. She stayed close by the young women of Boaz. You feeling the anticipation building up even more? She likes him. He seems to like her. He's some catch. She's well matched to him. And now we've found out there's a family tie. And more than that, he's one of their close relatives. He's a potential goel. Verse 23 closes the scene and marks the passing of time. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. The harvest lasted seven weeks or two months. Two months, and Ruth is still coming home every day to Naomi. Two months going to Boaz's field every day and nothing. What's going on? Does he not like her? Has he lost interest? Uh, maybe he's just a bit slow. You know what men are like. Sometimes they're a bit slow to catch on. Two months, and yes, the food has been provided, but that's all. Naomi and Ruth's long-term problem isn't solved yet. The love story seems to have fizzled out. The hope seems to be evaporating. Sometimes it's like that when God is doing something in your life. It doesn't always move at the pace you would like it to. Don't be discouraged if that happens. But it's time for us to stop and think about what we are learning from this. Hesed is at the high point of this scene, and Hesed is at the high point of the whole story. And Hesed is woven through everything 
Ruth's hesed to Naomi, Boaz's hesed to Ruth, God's hesed underlying it all. Hesed is the thing we've got to be looking out for. Hesed, kindness, pity, tenderness, loving kindness, mercy, grace, love, commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, all wrapped up together. Strong, steadfast, unchanging, unconditional, loyal love. We've learned from Naomi and her part in the story to look out for those little glimmers of light in our darkness. They're signs, remember, signs of God's hesed, they're reminders of it. Food, shelter, health, people who care, blessings that come our way every single day. And we should see the Lord's hand in them and take encouragement because the Lord's hand is in them. Every good thing that we have is undeserved and it's a reminder that God is loving and faithful. They're all reminders that even when we are unfaithful to God, his love, his hesed is constant. Do you do that? Do you always give thanks for your food? When somebody does a kind act, do you thank God for that and see behind their kindness God's hand? When the sun shines or when the rain falls, when the paycheck comes in or when you achieve some success in something, when anything good happens, do you give the praise to God for it? See those little glimmers of light in your darkness and be encouraged. You are under the shelter of God's wing and God's hesed is continually pouring down on you and protecting you. The Lord's kindness, his hesed, has not forsaken the living and the dead, said Naomi, even though she had been through such dark, dark days. Ruth and Boaz show us a little bit of what Hesed looks like. Ruth in her kindness to Naomi and Boaz in his kindness to Ruth. They help us to understand God's Hesed. They show us about commitment and loyalty and concern and tenderness and provision and protection and everything that we see in them that is good. Well, that's what God is like. That's what we're meant to learn and to see in their actions. A reminder that Christian God is committed to you, like Ruth was committed to Naomi. That God cares for you and looks out for you, like Boaz cared for Ruth, even though she was a foreigner. And just as God's hesed can be seen in Ruth's hesed and Boaz's hesed, here's the challenge for us, it can be seen in your hesed as well. You see, those little acts of kindness that you do, they matter. They matter a lot. They matter an awful lot more than you think. They matter more than standing up for and defending the truth, for example. They matter more than crossing all your theological T's and dotting all your doctrinal I's. And that's the way it has always been. We go right back to Deuteronomy 10. 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving them food and clothing. Therefore, you love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Love the stranger, the foreigner, the needy, the lonely, the undeserving, the helpless, even your enemies, and the people who let you down and treat you bad and disappoint you, love them, because that was you before the Lord saved you. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. And then there's 1 Timothy 5, the passage that deals with the responsibility of the church to care for its widows, honor widows who are really widows, it says. You see, these things matter. They're important to God. And you know why they're important to God? They're important because they're what God is like. And he wants the world to see what he's like. These things hold God up and put them on display. They glorify God. Sometimes religion gets in the way, doesn't it? Sometimes you can be so set on defending the truth or just getting the truth across. Sometimes you can be so focused on maintaining the standards, and don't get me wrong, the standards matter. Of course they do. But sometimes you can be so focused on maintaining the standards that you forget about Hesed. So a challenge. What does your life and conversation say about God? What notion of God do people go away with when they meet you? If I wanted to explain to somebody what Hesed is, could I say to him, you see him, you see her? That's Hesed. We can learn from Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, but the story is really about God. He's the one who's really meant to grab our attention here. So this is where we ought to finish up. God and his hesed. Kindness, pity, tenderness, loving kindness, mercy, grace, faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, all wrapped up together, strong, steadfast, unchanging, unconditional, loyal love. That's our God. Hesed. Don't you just love him? Aren't you glad that he has taken you under the shelter of his wing? Aren't you glad he keeps you there every minute of the day? Even when it seems you're not under the shelter of his wing, you are under the shelter of the wing of the God who is all Hesed. Aren't you glad that even on the dark days, and even on the days when you sin, even on those days, you're still under his wing, and he is at work in your life doing something absolutely amazing. You're just bathed in the Hesed of God. Psalm 63, 
How precious is your hesed, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And if you're not saved, it's a rotten, broken world. It's a hard, lonely world. If you have to face it on your own, wouldn't you just love to be under the wing of a God like that? And all it takes is that you come to him and ask. Put your trust under the shadow of his wing. Let's pray. Lord, we asked at the beginning of our service that you might be gracious to give us a glimpse of your loving kindness. Oh Lord, in just that little glimpse we have had. Father, it stirs our hearts so much, it's overwhelming. Help us, Lord, as we go from here this morning to go as those who are under the shadow of your wing. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.